The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to... um I should say to see you again, but, you know, we've talked about that before. I'm glad you're here. I have a very special guest this evening. Her name is Caitlin Doty. She is a funeral director, but as we would say in the South, she ain't like your mama's funeral director. She's different. She does it differently. She's um, a leader in the funeral uh, industry, and you're going to find out why in the next hour. So, hi, Caitlin. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a delight to have you. Uh, once I, you know, I've been following you for a while. Once I saw the last article about you in the New York Times, um, I, I was hooked. And so I'm, I'm so glad that you uh, have the time to be on tonight with us. Absolutely. I say, I say tonight, it could be any time. I don't know when it is. Well, there's still, sun, there's still sun out here in Los Angeles, but yeah, it's, about, well, it's about to be night. Well, it's snowing here in Colorado Springs. So, I don't know where I'd rather be. Anyway, so Caitlin and I, my friends, are going to have a conversation. And if you would like to join us, you can call me. Um... Just look at the Empowerment Channel. You'll see the phone number. And if you have a question for me or for Caitlin, feel free to call. And I'll give you all of our email information at the end of the show. So, Caitlin, at the upcoming Passover Seder celebration, one of the things that we say is, how is this night different from all other nights? So I would like to ask you that question. How is this woman funeral director different than other funeral directors? Hmm, that's, that's actually a good, good question. I would say that I'm not that different from other funeral directors in the sense that I want to help people and help a family in the worst time of their life. But I would say that my methods to achieve that are different than most of the traditional funeral system in America. 
So the way that I run my funeral home, which is called Undertaking LA, located in Los Angeles, is that we want family involvement. And in fact, family involvement is sort of number one in what we do. We want the family to help us prepare the dead body to the extent that they're comfortable. We want them to help us wash the body, to close the eyes, to set the features, to have a wake in their home. We want them to be present for the cremation if they're comfortable with that. We want them to help dig the grave if they're comfortable with that. We want to make it as open and easy as possible for a family to be involved in the rituals and the preparation for death. Well, I see my listeners, I told you this was a little bit, maybe a lot, different than what you used to. Used to be that everybody lived in the same neighborhood, and the funeral home or the cemetery was in the same neighborhood. So when somebody died, when Grandma died, uh, we would do all those things that Caitlin just told you, and we would put her in a coffin, and we would put her on her shoulders, and we would walk her to the cemetery, where we had dug a grave, and we would lovingly put her in the grave, and we were cover, we would cover her up with earth, and then we would be done. Uh, that was getting involved. Now, what happens, for lots of reasons, one of which cemeteries are not close by anybody, they're not in your neighborhood anymore, because who wants to live near a cemetery? So it's done by professionals. And what Caitlin says is it's a family affair. And the family needs to take care of the dead just like they used to. Am I saying that right, Caitlin? That's absolutely right. And everything you said is, is right on. This used to be the way that American death was conducted. The family was completely involved. There wasn't somebody you could pay to take care of the body for you. And I think what's happened, and I've actually been doing a lot of research on this this past couple of months for a new project I'm working on, is that the dead body really got a bad rap um, in the late uh, 19th century, early 20th century. It was associated with disease, it was associated with pestilence, it was associated with um, people getting sick, and people really thought that the dead body was this source of disease and death, death causing more death. And we know now that that's not how it works. There's not air floating off the dead body that infects people. There's not miasma that causes cholera and causes the plague. It really is safe for the vast, vast majority of cases to be around a dead body. And the whole funeral system was set up to combat the dead body being dangerous. The reason that we embalm and chemically preserve the body and the reason that we cremate and, and destroy the body all come from this impulse to protect us from the dangerous dead body. And we really need a revolution in our thinking that the dead body isn't that dangerous at all and actually can be a very healing thing to be around and a way to get into and address your grief. I agree with you 100%. And as my listeners know, because I've talked about it a lot, uh, I've also written some books on death, and and I serve on a Hever Kedisha, uh, a holy group of men and women who prepare the body. We go to the funeral home uh, the night before the funeral, and we wash the body once for physical reasons, and we wash the body a second time 
for spiritual reasons, and then we dry him or her off, men do men, women do women, out of modesty, and then we dress them in a white shroud, uh, which you know is not so easy, because dead weight is dead weight, and it's not so simple, you don't get any help from them. That's true. And we put them in a white shroud, which teaches us that whether you're rich or poor, it does not matter. You end up dead. Everybody does eventually. And then we um, sit with the body. We put it in a wooden coffin. And then we take it into the funeral homes, a chapel, and we sit with the body all night long until the funeral. And I, I, I bring books for them to read, or they can talk about life and death, or read Psalms. So what you're advocating is really, um, come, as you said, coming back to the way it used to be. And we Jews, uh, Orthodox and conservative Jews, we really are getting back to that. Uh, I always teach every year at a national Hever Kadisha conference, and what I teach, well, we it's not really a teaching session, but what we what we talk about is the feelings of the people who are on the Hever Kadisha who prepare the body, because you're not supposed to say to anybody, "I prepared your mother's body." Hmm. You cannot be on my Hever Kadisha if you do that; it's disrespectful, and your history. So that's really the only, you know, law that we have. Uh, but it's, it's so meaningful uh, to us. And every session that I, that I lead, I end up either in tears or um, having to take a long walk afterwards because it's so moving, as you know. Let me ask you a question. So, so Daddy dies. And um, daughter comes into your funeral home. Uh, the family comes into your funeral home. So walk us through the process. What happens next? Sure. So with our funeral home, and, and first of all, um, I think that the Hever Kadisha is, is a wonderful ritual and wonderful tradition, and we actually take a lot of inspiration from it. And some people ask us, you know, is this really all that new? Isn't it what Jewish people do? And I say, not only is it what Jewish people do, it's what many other cultures around the world have done for thousands of years with their body. Because the, the class of professional people who take care of the dead has actually been very small comparably throughout history. It was the family that took care of the body. And so what we're doing that's slightly different from the Hever Kadisha is that we want people in their own family to take care of the dead. We want to say, make it, I guess, a completely secular base. So whatever religion, whatever spirituality, whatever you come to the dead with, um, you, it can be a clean slate that we can help you with. And so if you come to our funeral home, realistically, we don't get a lot of calls from people who have never heard of us or are just walking in after their after their father dies. Traditionally, uh, either the father himself before he died or the daughter several weeks, several months before the father died would call us and we would start working at that point. And we, what we found, much to our surprise when we opened the funeral home, is that we thought most people were going to require 
a lot of hand-holding in preparing them to take care of the dead body, um, that we were going to have to show up to the house and talk them through it and help them do it. And what we've found is that almost without exception, if it's the right type of person and they're ready to go on this journey, when somebody dies, uh, usually at home because they are under hospice, the person who is the next of kin, in this case would be the daughter, feels comfortable taking care of her father herself. It's actually a very natural thing. And if we do enough work with them beforehand and tell them, here's what to expect, here's why the dead body is safe, here's why it's not dangerous, here's how you close the eyes, here's how you close the mouth. If you tell them these things, what often happens is they'll give us a call when dad dies and say, hey, just to let you know, dad died. And then they'll call us five hours later, eight hours later, the next morning and say, okay, we've had our time. We're now ready for you to come pick up dad. And that's that's actually kind of our ideal funeral in a way, because it's a family saying this person has died. It's not an emergency. It's not, oh my gosh, we have to call the funeral home right away and pick up dad. It's something that we can just take this time, be with him, sit with him, wash him, dress him, do what we need to do. And that at a certain point, something will shift and we'll be ready to let him go. And we'll give you a call and we'll come pick him up, bring him to our facility, file the death certificate, and then perform either the cremation or burial as the family wants. God, it's, it's, I was going to say so unusual, but it's really not. It's back to the old days, like it should have been. It is, yeah. And it's, and things, I think that if you really explain the way that the funeral industry, especially in America, evolved, I think that most people who aren't in the funeral industry will agree, oh, it sounds like something got a little off track there. <laughs> sounds like something <laughs> went a little off the rails and we're, we're working to do it. But the problem is that the, that the funeral industry, as it exists in the United States, is very dedicated to maintaining the status quo when it comes to the laws, when it comes to what you can or cannot do with a body, when it comes to who is allowed to take care of the dead body. Um, and so they really have this interest in keeping it the same. And it's not really working for most families and most people anymore. When the family is preparing their father or mother, um, do they talk to them? Do they ask for forgiveness? Do they apologize? Do they do any of that stuff? Absolutely, they do. Um, it, it, it's absolutely a dialogue. It's absolutely um, a time to say things that maybe you were too afraid to say before someone died. Uh, I was at an event in Sydney. I was at the Sydney Writers Festival, and I was on a panel with Alan Cumming, who's an actor. And I was talking about what I do, pretty much as I'm telling you now. And... We, Alan Cumming had just been talking about this absolutely horrible, abusive relationship that he had with his father, who had died fairly recently. And the host says, oh, but would you, would you want to take care of your father, Alan, given what a you know, terrible man he was? And I was really scared because I thought he was going to say, oh, no, absolutely not. And he said, yeah, I think that would actually be incredibly healing because there are things I could do and things that I could say to him and things that I could confront that I could never do while he was alive. So even it doesn't really matter if you had a good relationship, a bad relationship, a complicated relationship, spending time with that dead body can create and open up pockets that you finally feel safe to engage with. 
Uh, I agree. Thank you. I um, used to never think about cremation. Judaism doesn't support cremation mm-hmm. for all kinds of reasons. One is we lost six million of our people by cremation mm-hmm. uh, from the Nazis, and um, uh, we like to bury in the in the earth. But I understand why people, you know, feel comfortable with cremation. Uh, I want to get back to this. It's already time for our first break, so we will be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, it's Rabbi Mel back uh, with my friend, Caitlin Doty. Uh, She's a funeral director, and she's been talking about a different way a newer way and an older way of preparing the body. And what she's saying is that instead of farming it out to funeral home professionals, it's a responsibility of the family. And so in her funeral home, she doesn't take care of all the details. She takes care of all the documents. She doesn't take care of all the details. She doesn't prepare the body. The family does, at home, in their bed. And they wash the body, and they prepare the body, and then um, Caitlin and her staff come, pick up the body, and go either to the cemetery or to the crematorium or wherever. And it's so much more personal. Now, I'm a grief guy. I'm a healing guy. Okay, so... I am less concerned about how the body gets prepared than I am with, as we ended off with, you know, the healing that takes place. And I always, I revel in the fact that 
people can apologize, that people can say, I'm sorry. The problem is, it's usually after daddy died. Wouldn't it be nice, Caitlin, if this could happen before daddy died? It would. And something that I would say is, it's interesting that you say, I'm a grief guy. I'm not as interested in how the body is prepared because I always say I'm a corpse girl and my primary interest <laughs> is in the dead body. It really isn't culturally and historically. It's, it's, my, it's my passion. Um, but I think grief intertwines so effortlessly with the dead body. And I will say that if you're in a scenario where you're going to do something that's not the status quo, where you're going to use a funeral home like mine, where you have to talk about things ahead of time, you have to figure out if you can... Most families, when they first call us, they're not even sure if it's legal to keep dad at home. They're not even sure if they need certain documents, if they need a, a special form from the coroner, if they need to call the police. They're just not sure about any of this. So... If you're, the, if you're a family that's willing to step out of your comfort zone and ask those questions and figure those things out, you're probably also the type of family that's going to have to have these hard conversations because dad is there and he's dying and we're talking about all these things that could happen with his body. You're probably opening up a dialogue that you wouldn't otherwise. If you just kind of ignore that, I, I used to work in for many years in cremation. And by cremation, I mean direct cremation, which is family. somebody dies, family usually price shops for the lowest cost cremation in town, and we come and pick up the body and cremate it. And there's very little family involvement at all. And in that situation, you don't have to talk to dad about the fact that he's dying at all. That conversation can just be completely avoided. But with something like this, when you're planning to do something outside of the box, when you're planning to do something a little more uh, involved and complicated, you almost can't do it without coming to the point where you have those conversations. And as you know, as a grief man, those conversations lead to other conversations, lead to other conversations, and hopefully the family goes down the rabbit hole where they're opening up about past wrongs and past rights that they wouldn't otherwise. I am convinced that peace will come to this world through death mm -hmm. I'm with and you. through healing. And once we learn that we're all going to die and the possibility exists, the opportunity exists to, um, as I said before, apologize and forgive. Forgiveness is a big one. Mm -hmm. and, and like you say, when you don't like your mommy and daddy, because they might have abused you emotionally or even, God forbid, physically, it's really hard to, uh, well, one would think it would be really hard. It's really not hard. And that taking care of your parent that abused you can change your feelings 180 percent, uh, 180 degrees, so that you can really get back to feeling a little bit more love than you did before. I think death is the solution. Yeah, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you. And when you take care of a body, I guess I would say results not guaranteed. But no, I would say results guaranteed. I can't promise you what the results are going to be. But there are going to be results. Something is going to change. Something is going to shift. Something is. I've never had anybody tell me that they had that they took care of someone they loved, or they took care, had a home funeral, or had a wake at home, or were involved 
with the body in that way and come out of it and said, mm, I really wish I hadn't have done that. I've heard that when they just go see the body that somebody else has prepared or they see an embalmed body or they briefly, you know, have to witness a, um, you know, go to the corner and identify a loved one. I've heard people say they regret that, but I've never heard anyone who truly was involved in in preparing and sitting with the body say that they regretted the experience because something happened there. Right. A window opens. Mm-hmm. A door opens. Something happens. And, and death becomes, a, I want to say, a service of life. That is... You're different now. Mm-hmm. When, when someone dies, not only are they not around anymore, but their position in the family is different. So lots of people in this country celebrated Easter dinner uh, this past week. And one of the things that I talk about in one of my books is, you know, well, how do you sit around the table on Easter or at the Passover Seder or Christmas, or Rosh Hashanah, one of the biggies where the family comes together. And somebody has died since last year. How can you be happy? What do you do? It's like, I guess, you know, having an elephant on the table. So you, you don't want to talk about it, but you can't not talk about it. So what do you do about it? Because not only did they die physically, but their position in the family is now also gone. So, for example, if mama was the one that you could tell everything to and she was without judgments, she loved you 100%, and she really was the emotional center of the family, well, who's going to do that now? They have to negotiate that. So I suggest... That the, the first year, the first meal, after, after mama dies, they leave her chair empty as a sign of respect. And then they go around the table, and everybody tells their favorite story about mama. And what happens, and I've seen it happen, is that people cry, people laugh, and then people can eat. And so mama's not on the table anymore. And she doesn't get in the way. I mean, I mean that in a good way. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've written previously about a tribe in Brazil, an indigenous tribe called the Wari. And when somebody died, they would go around to every house in the village and they would pull a frond from the thatched roof of the house. Hmm. And that was what came together to, to light the funeral pyre were all of these different fronds because the idea was you had to have some sort of visual representation that the community was broken somehow. That so each house looked a little bit different and was less together because somebody in the community had died. And then I believe they actually would take, they would take down the house of the person who had died. So if the head of the family died, their whole house had to come down because that person was gone and then the community was responsible for lifting the family back up again after the person died. Um, so obviously we don't, and you know that's kind of the extreme version of having that kind of community support and acknowledging that each person has their own special irreplaceable place in the community. But we obviously, and I'm sure you know this more than anyone, don't do a great 
job anymore, especially in most secular communities, in creating a space to acknowledge grief and rituals to acknowledge grief and uh, ideas like that, which could work for, you know, a, a religious dinner, Easter or Passover, but could also work for just, you know, Thanksgiving or uh, any yes. Christmas or any sort of uh, any sort of tradition that a family celebrates, just making sure that there are things that acknowledge a death and let's lingering things come up. You know, if you have mom's empty chair there, it might be, a time to bring up something about, you know, maybe mom's ashes, you had her cremated and her ashes are still in the closet. And the son's like, hey guys, mom's empty chair is here. Maybe now is the time to talk about why we haven't done the scattering yet and why we're keeping mom in the closet. You know, there, it's, it's a time to, to bring up these things that, that if you didn't have that opening with the chair, you wouldn't be able to. Exactly. So once again, uh, death leads to life. Mm-hmm. And if you can't talk about it, then you become, I always say, if you can't talk about it, then the dead are still alive. You carry them with you on your shoulder, but and your soul is deadened because you got this extra weight. Mm. Um, Rabbi Harold Kushner likes to talk a lot about death, as I'm sure you know, and he talks about forgiveness because people ask him all the time, well, why should I f- forgive them? They did something horrible to me. It was just terrible. And Harold always says, you forgive them for your sake, not for their sake. Because you don't want to carry them around with you. Because what he says, he creates a lovely metaphor. And he says, when you don't forgive daddy, It's like you're letting him live rent-free in your head forever. Yeah. That's a heavy burden. That's a heavy burden. And especially if if it was a negative relationship, he he doesn't deserve to be there. Right. Well, and you need to go on living. Mm -hmm. I always say that that the job of, of mourning is to lay them gently down and let them die. It's the hardest thing in the world to do, as you know. I think touching touching is so powerful, but we don't do that. I mean, the Hever Kedisha does that. And I'm very curious about how family members feel, you know, when they, when they begin to actually physically handle their mother or father's body. And I can imagine there could be a spiritually uplifting moment, and it doesn't become as scary as they and we might have thought initially. Yeah, it's it's one hundred percent not as scary as you think it is, and it becomes it becomes normal. And it's hard to describe exactly how that happens, but when you're there from the time the person dies you start to notice little changes. You start to notice the body doesn't go cold, but it does go to room temperature because when the person's alive, they're well above the temperature of the room. And so it feels like they're they're cooler and things start to sink, their eyes sink in and their mouth may slack open. Um, if, it's a certain, if it's a couple of hours, they may go into rigor mortis, so they may get stiff. Um, and there's just all sorts of little things that happen that, 
they say in the funeral industry that the body is supposed to is supposed to look lifelike, and they don't actually say that anymore. They say natural, um, but I don't think the dead body should look lifelike or even natural. I think the dead body should look dead because there's healing in those hours that you spend with the dead body, and you see that it is dead, and you can say, "Okay, Dad." you're obviously not here anymore. Your chest is not rising and falling. You're not moving. Your eyelids aren't fluttering. There is nothing, you know, you have left the building. Whether or not I believe your soul, your soul has gone elsewhere, whether I believe that it's just your brain that has died, whatever my belief is, I know that you don't inhabit this shell anymore. And to have that transition is really powerful. And like you said, it helps you lay someone down gently. It helps you take the take the long route it's like taking the long winding path but there's a beautiful view at the end i believe that when we prepare someone's body and i teach this every year at this conference that i go to you're really preparing three bodies at the same time you're preparing your mother's body or your father's body or brother or sister or whoever else you are preparing your body in advance for the time when you die. It's sort of a pre-healing, if you allow it to be. And third, and this um, I've never read anywhere else, uh, you are preparing somebody else's body that you never got a chance to finish your relationship with. Mm because you just couldn't talk. You couldn't deal with death. You couldn't apologize. You couldn't forgive. So I claim in my Hever Kadisha that there are three people lying on that table. And every year I teach that, and every time I say that, it freaks them out. <laughs> it's it just because it just it freaks them out. And That's I will admit that every time I'm in a room uh, at the funeral home, the room for where the Heber Kedisha prepares the bodies, you know, I close my eyes because uh, I'm the chair of it, but I don't have to do all the detail work. I have members of my congregation, five or six who, men who prepare men and five or six women who prepare women. So, and we have a liturgy and we have prayers and all that. And I just step back and I close my eyes and I remind myself of my family members who have died. And all my aunts and uncles and all my parents and my first wife, they've all died. And I say to them two things. One, I miss you. And two, I love you and I'm okay. And then if I have... A, have, if I had a problem with one of them, I will take that moment to ask their forgiveness. I find it works for me. And I talk about it ad nauseum in my congregation. You know, I think, because uh, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm the grief guy, and that's my passion. I don't get paid for being a grief guy. Um, and so... I really emphasize that you got to make it clean. You got to make it right. And, and it's better to do it before they die. But even if 
after they die. I had a guy a uh, long to eight years ago, another congregation. He said, Rabbi, I need you to help me forgive my mother. Now, he was in his 70s. So I said, well, how long has your mother been gone? And he said, 40 years. Wow. I was stunned. So I'll tell you quickly, because we're almost at another break. I sent him to the cemetery in New York City, in Long Island. And I said, you go to the cemetery, and I told him exactly what to say. Just basically, I forgive you, I apologize, I love you, and goodbye. Something magical about the word goodbye. And I said, you stay as long as you want, tell your daughter to drive you, and then go away. And that's what he did. And he came back and he said to me, I did it, you're a genius. I said, tell the president of the congregation you said that. I said, how long were you there? He said, four hours, and it felt like 10 minutes. I was proud of him because he did something that he never thought he could do. It's time for another break. Caitlin and I will be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi there. I'm with my new good friend, Caitlin Doty. I said I'm the grief guy. She said she's the corpse girl. I think maybe we should get together more often. We're a superhero team. (laughs) Are you making a TV series? 
Uh, well, I, I wrote a book that came out at the end of 2014, and it was optioned for a TV series uh, from Paramount. Um, but and it's still it's still going on. They they re-up the option. It just takes a long time to get anything made um, in Hollywood. I I live in Los Angeles, and I've have friends who are in the industry, and they all say that's not unusual. So whether or not it will actually get made into a series completely. Uh, remains pun intended to be seen um, but yeah we'll see and and I fortunately I have a lot of control or a lot of say in how the series were to end up if it were to go on to television so that's, that's exciting unusual. it is unusual but I because death is such a sensitive subject and it's uh, the book that I wrote was essentially a memoir um, with historical things thrown in so you know, if all of a sudden in the second season, Caitlin or Doppelganger Caitlin gets a cocaine addiction or something that happens on television shows, <laughs> that wouldn't necessarily be good for Caitlin, the advocate, as I as I live and write and right. own a business now. We have to split ourselves in half. Yes. Because we have one identity that's professional. Oh, that's and, certainly true. And we have one identity that's personal, just like everybody else. And they're often, you know, at odds with each other. And sometimes you do the wrong thing or you combine or you mix it up or you, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Tell people I, mean, I, should, I should be clear that neither professional or private Caitlin has a cocaine addiction. That was just an example. <laughs> Well, I'm so pleased to hear that. Yes, we're all, we're all a collective sigh of relief. No, I would never have you back on my show if you did. Uh, no, that's not true. I would anyway. Yeah, if I was, you know, recovering and had a lot to say about grief and facing death, right, I'm sure that would be an interesting interview. I don't, but it would probably be interesting. Could you tell people a little bit about that book? Sure, yeah. I, I wrote a book. It's called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory. And it I started working in the industry about, I guess it's eight or nine years ago at this point. And my first job was as a crematory operator, which means that I was the person who cremated the bodies all day. That was my job. And when I first got into it, I was probably 22 years old. And I was there by myself, cremating bodies all day. And it was the first time I was really awakened to, oh, wow, there's a lot There's a lot going on in this industry that's kind of weird and distant. And why am I here by myself cremating these people? Why am I the last person that sees these people? Why aren't their families here? Why aren't they coming to see the bodies? And I really didn't understand it. And that has really set off this whole quest that I've spent years working on to get people more involved in death and more aware of what's going on behind the scenes. So the book really was a memoir of that first year and the stories and the, the corpses that I met and the living people that I met and the things that I discovered as well as an introduction to how the funeral industry developed and, and how we got to kind of our strange, awkward place that we're in right now with death. And you, and now, and you know now that people don't like to talk about death until we open them up and then you can't stop them. Exactly. Yeah, that's There's kind so of much every, to say. every dinner or it, cocktail party. It's really about them, not, not the one who died. It's really about them. So I have a question, and that is, um, did you 
go into the crematorium business because of personal losses? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say that I did. I'd say that I went into it because of a lifelong fascination with death. Um, I, I witnessed what I, what I believe and still believe to have been a death when I was really young um, at a local mall. I saw a girl um, fall from the second story a young girl fall from the second story. And that made me very, very afraid of death for a long time. And as I got older, I transformed that fear into a genuine open interest. I studied medieval history in college. Um, I was interested in medieval death rituals and and how they handled the bodies um, throughout history and throughout cultures. And I thought it was time for me to really get in and see what was happening behind the scenes and what a real dead body looked like. And that was my my introduction to it. And I didn't I don't know that I necessarily thought that this would be my life when I first started, but it's strange. I've talked to other people who have had similar experiences when you go in even at a young age, and you just know that something is is what you're supposed to be doing. And you kind of just settle into it and go, okay, I guess this is what I do now. And this is probably what I'm going to be doing forever. I don't know whether I would have invited you to the high school prom, actually. Now I would. <laughs> you don't know that you would invite me to the high school prom? Uh, well, <laughs> fine. If, um, if you were you then and I was me then, no, there's no way in the world I would have invited the corpse girl to the high school prom. <laughs> well, I wasn't like, I was, you know, less obviously the corpse girl in high school. I mean, I was certainly interested in, um, you know, religions and cultures and, and death. I was certainly interested in all those things, but... You know, now that I'm in, you know, I moved through my 20s and I'm in my early 30s, I don't have any problem being being who I am and expressing these interests. Um, I, I know that there are a lot of people who are young and who work in the funeral industry and have a very difficult time because their family doesn't understand what they do and they think it's weird and they think it's morbid. And what I say is that I think it's weird and morbid that you're so closed off from death and you're so terrified of death and you're trying to make me feel bad because you have a bad relationship with death. Um, I don't. I have a very open, ever-changing relationship with death. I consider it a relationship just like any other human relationship in my life. And in fact, probably one of the most important relationships you'll ever have is with your own mortality. And I don't think there's anything wrong with me for being uh, engaged with that and aware of it and aware of how it's affecting my life and working behind the scenes in my brain. And so I, I try and keep the dialogue light and upbeat and just only because I want people to understand that you can get into this and you can be interested in death and dead bodies without having it be morbid and weird and gross. There's no, there's no, I mean, they can be those things, but there's no reason it has to be. Right. I think you do holy work, which leads me to another question that I've been pondering, and that is, um, do you believe in a God? I, I don't. I, and I, I will say that I believe that I have no idea. I believe that my, my puny human brain, which doesn't even see colors or hear very well as other animals do, I, I have no sense that I would be able to grasp a God or a higher power if there was one. 
Um, my my personal belief, or just what kind of gets me through the day, um, is that is that I I don't believe that I am I am ruled by a higher power. I believe that there's a lot of human um, that that humans ba- basically create their own realities. Um, and so I am personally not religious, but oftentimes I wish I was, especially with death, because in cultures where they really have a strong, strong religious or cultural belief around death, you know exactly how to, you know how to feel about death. You know what to do when someone dies. You know how to ritualize the death. You know how to sing, how to chant, how to prepare the body, how to mourn. And you have certain times of the year that you mourn and certain tasks that you do. And I am part of a really growing number of people who just kind of get shoved out into the ether without any ritual or without any sense of death. And part of the work that I'm trying to do is is give people things to do, even if they're not religious, because they're kind of at the biggest biggest detriment because there's not anything to support them and no community to support them. Yeah, you were one of those that was um, mentioned, not by name, in the last Pew Institute study that, that said 30-year-olds don't, are not into God, are not into religious institutions. They just want to be left alone. Yeah. They believe in a higher power, some of them. Some of them do not. But leave me alone. Don't tell me what to believe, uh, which is what we clergy love to do because <laughs> we know it's right, you know, all the time. Right. That's what I tell all my people. <laughs> so let me carry this a little bit further. Um, so the body is either buried or cremated. What do you think happens to the soul? By which I mean, uh, what makes Caitlin really Caitlin? You know, honestly, what I what I think makes Caitlin Caitlin is the way that my brain has developed, the way that my brain has created memories throughout my life, the way that they're stored in my brain, the way that, and I do believe in a brain-body connection. I believe that um, we're much more holistic than, you know, the 17th century enlightenment would would have us believe. Um, But I do believe that at the moment that I die, when my brain switches off, and the blood stops flowing and the oxygen stops flowing. I believe that's it for Caitlin. The person that was Caitlin is not there. But that absolutely does not change the value of my dead body. It absolutely does not change the ritual that should be done around my dead body, because I think you said it really beautifully. Um, And the the way that I say it is that there are two things that you're looking at with the dead body. You're looking at not only the person that died, you're also looking at your own relationship with death. And I'm really going to think a lot about the third category that you presented, which is you're also mourning or engaging with all the people that you didn't get to do that with. Um, and I'm going to take that with me and think about it more because I think that's really fascinating. Thank um, you. So, I, I do too. It scares me sometimes. No, it, it makes a lot of sense because the way that the way I was thinking about it was you're opened up with the dead body to think about your own mortality, but your own mortality is so influenced by all the people that you've known who have died or have disappeared out of your life. And you can't, you can't pull those two apart, really. Um, it, it's there. And so... I really love that, and I'll be thinking more about it. And yeah, so so I guess what I'm trying to say with all of this is that while I do not 
I do not have a religion and I do not believe that my soul is going elsewhere when I die. That absolutely doesn't change the value that I place in ritual and that I place in the dead body and that I place in grief and that I place in all of these things that we share. Works for me. <laughs> I, um, I sort of agree with you. I do, I do not believe in a physical uh, place called heaven, a physical place called hell. Interesting. I believe in legacy. It's what you leave the memories and the lessons and and all the rest. That's your legacy. So Mother Teresa's in heaven and Adolf Hitler's in hell. And I don't need anything else. <laughs> I'm okay I, I wanna, with that. Um, so that people can contact you, why don't you give them your um, information, how they can get in touch with you? Sure. And um, I don't remember whether we have more time or not. I think not. So we may have to be done with each other soon. But <laughs> well, so we've tell people how to contact in time. Um, well, I'm I'm most easily easily contacted on something like social media. So if anybody has Twitter at the Good Death, um, but if they're more email folks, um, probably the best way would be the email address Death Questions all one word, at gmail.com. Okay. And I am at Rabbi Mel at griefok.com. And um, I think we have another break. And I hope we come back afterwards. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, 